code to New York City, trauma code to WBAI. I am Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, a Brooklyn trauma surgeon and surgical intensivist. And I am Dr. Cassandra Raphael, an adult and child psychiatrist. Welcome to Trauma Code. Together we will focus on healing of mind, body, and community from trauma. We'll discuss how wellness fits into the culture at large. Join us on Monday at 2 p.m. on WBAI. Trauma Code. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald on WBAI in New York City. And my co-host, Dr. Cassandra Raphael, will not be in studio today, so we'll have to get with her next time. Uh, Today I have with me Juan Carlos Pinto of the Brooklyn Recycle Project. But before I get to him, before I forget, that music from the intro was from uh, the Roy Ayers... Ayers, thank you, Reggie. <laughs> Don't let me mess that up. The Roy Ayers song, I believe it was from 1972. Um, I'm not sure the name of the album. Maybe Ubiquity, you might remember. It's Warriors Ubiquity. Um, and then I, I blended in, and, and the DJ and Reggie probably cringed when I, I did it, but a little bit of the 1994, I think, Diggable Planet song, Burrow Check, uh, that featured Guru from Gangstar, a very underappreciated track, in my opinion. Um but uh, before I get too off, uh, the one thing I, I, I do like to bring up um, cultural pieces that I've been able to experience in New York City. I grew up uh, in Maryland, though I was born in New York, and one of the joys here, especially when the weather gets nice out in the spring and summer. And I believe I saw Diggable Planets, must have been 2018 or 2019, 
just pre-pandemic. They had a live band. They must have been 50 or something. Um, but it was, a, it was a really exciting show in uh, a park in Red Hook, what I call the Valley of the Red Hook Projects. I forget the name of the park. Um, but in any case, that was a, a long soliloquy to say. Uh, Juan Carlos Pinto, welcome to Trauma Code. How are you doing? Thank you, doctor. I'm okay. So I know just a little bit of backstory. Uh, make sure you're talking to the mic there. Um, that uh, I met uh, Juan Carlos is one of the first pre people that I met and became friends with in Brooklyn, in Flatbush, and the common ground. And I'm sorry if this is a little bit of inside baseball, but it's it's some New York history here. Was uh, Vox Pop on Cortell U, yeah. the coffee shop owned by Sander Hicks, who started Soft Skull Press. I believe he ran both of those institutions into the ground financially, um, but they were tremendous cultural spaces, and I was happy to share that with yep. you. Um, but And the reason I got to know you is because you do a lot of public art, uh, particularly in the area around Brooklyn, but all around New York City, especially with recycled materials with the Brooklyn Recycle Project. Can you just tell me a little bit about the spirit of that project and maybe a, a piece or a couple of pieces that you're proud of that, that kind of tell that story? Um, I grew up in Guatemala, and uh, the 80s was very interesting political action there. And public art is the one who gave me the answer to to keep it up instead to just give up in the political activism. Uh, recycle became the green way. Uh, all that red situation changed to become a green stuff. Uh, the, the only work cost to to work with was the defending Mother Earth in that case. And New York is a very generous context to give you a lot of garbage to work with. Mm. And we use a lot of uh, ceramics and glass. Uh, when you say you come from Baltimore, uh, we did a little piece with a visionary art museum in Baltimore. You see the, the glass facator? The I learned facade, yeah. from that experiences, yeah. Wow, excellent. And then I, I didn't even know that that's... At one point, I think when I graduated high school, that was ranked the third best art museum in the country. A, a very, beautiful there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you brought up a lot of history, and I guess we'll get into some of your contemporary works. But we are a trauma code. We talk about how trauma influences culture. Um, and you brought up living in the wartime context of Guatemala. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that experience? And I know you've told me a little bit what your public artwork at that time included graffiti, you know, political graffiti in support of those who had disappeared, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that history? Yeah. Uh, well, Guatemala is pretty close to the United States. It's uh, six hours away from New York. And uh, that means the birth of cable, of MTV, and all that generation influenced my generation. Uh, the idea of the the voice of the, the the voice of the invisible man in Brooklyn or, or in New York through uh, spray paint, uh, the painted trains and the tunnels and that kind of activism, that that scream of uh, we are here, the resonance was go over the the borders. And over there, I uh, I saw that, that it was totally alienation by TV, but uh, I started spray painting in 1984 in Guatemala. Really? That's Orwellian time. So at what that, that's fascinating history. At what time did you become aware of um, kind of graffiti culture uh, in New York City and on the trains and the, stuff like 80, that? 84, let's say that. That was the first year I went to the Guatemala City. 
and was a lot of uh, activity and was a lot of repression toward community organizers and teachers and uh, was an immediate answer to the, the political repression plus uh, I grew up with a big big family and, and solidarity was always there meaning I became aware of uh, people who were banishing in the clouds because of uh, political repression and los desaparecidos type thing. And, uh, you know, you can tell us some of the of the um, graffiti, uh, you know, New York style influenced political artwork you did around Guatemala during the dictatorship in the mid 80s. But one history I think you told me is um, one of your tags was uh, Vivos los llevaron, vivos los queremos. They took them alive. We want them alive. Yeah, that wasn't a slogan of the revolution at that time. I think was that come from from the Zapatistas or, or, or even from from the Cuban movement. Uh, uh, that was that wasn't a slogan assigned by the National University to the people who were in that type of uh, uh, brigades spray painting in, in Guatemala City. We were spray painting public buildings, and people hate your guts because you're vandalizing national heritage. And uh, the military time, uh, it was not like New York. They don't give you a ticket, you know. You you go with the vanishing ones. Wow. Um, so um, you're talking, uh, implying a lot of kind of government violence. And you have a very interesting history, I think, tied up with the war in Guatemala. You told us a little bit about your artistic engagement with that wartime dictatorship. Um, but also, uh, you had a role in the peace process, is that right, in Guatemala? At least a I, small I, role? I witnessed as a, as a student of the Jesuit University, uh, we were invited to witness the process of peace. Uh, the talks were in Oslo, Norway. And they invite a few uh, students who were involved, uh, like uh, in the, sec uh, the secretary of students, or and uh, I was invited to witness the dialogue between the guerrilla and the army in in Oslo, Norway. Uh, I think collateral of that talks, uh, Rigoberta Menchu uh, got the Nobel Prize of Peace in 1992 uh, as a ambassador of the voice of uh, uh, American Indians in that case. Wow. Um, and, you know, you've also told me that uh, you were are a survivor of, of political violence from that time. R remind me what era that, that was in, if you don't mind talking about it, and, mm. and what happened. Uh, I guess a trigger warning for anyone who needs to, to turn down in response to any histories of political violence. Well, you uh, go all the way. And uh was important for me the the participation in that, and I have friends who were, you know, banished by by the political violence. And we just got a little boo boo, you know, and and we were involved in the return of Guatemalans who were refugees in Chiapas, Mexico, during the eighties, seventies, eighties. A lot of Guatemalans moved to Chiapas. Uh, during the middle eighties, they start coming back because the process of, of democracy is established in nineteen eighty five, I think. And baby steps, the UN start establishing refugee camps, or re the, in, the, in that case, they call retornados, like people who return, not refugee, in the north of Guatemala. And we were part of that process with the with the Jesuit University, with the University of Landivar, and. 
after that, in the 90s, the coordinator of that uh, document was Monsignor Juan Gerardi, who, by the way, was assassinated in 97. Mm. That was triggered my, I got to leave the country because I lost kind of respect for, for the whole uh, political movement. Because uh, I want to die, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's when I start doing art. And that the, the power of art gave me some motivation to, to, to do what we do in Brooklyn. You know? Well, and um, that's a lot of history there. And, and what's great about talking to you is you also kind of touched a lot of rich art history in New York, especially in the Lower East Side in Brooklyn. And... Um, it's always kind of fascinating to me in that the mid you know to early 80s into the 90s uh kind of hip hop culture kind of as well as previous kind of uh movements would you say also the visual arts of of people like Warhol and Basquiat were also influencing in your journey to New York City Yeah my first year of college was 1988 and for first time in my own I come from a, a a low-income family. We're, we're peasants. Uh, I'm, I'm the only one from seven who finished college, and because I got a scholarship, and uh, for the first time I have a, a an opportunity to do the physical checkup with the doctor, and I went to the dentist. In the dentist office, was a big pile of magazines. So I think it was Life for September 1967. I born 1968. This is a year before I born the magazine in the, doc, the old doctor office, and I opened the, doc, the, the magazine, and, and one of the pages was the history of these five hoodlum kids in the Lowry side of Manhattan who squat this uh, school, and they established this uh, place called Charas. During Charas' Avenue B and East 8, East 9, in, in front of Tompkins Square Park in the, in the Lowry side, and Chino Garcia was the big head there. Chino is still with us. We just did a, a celebration of him life. And uh, Charas gave shelter, including Basquiat, to many, many big names, not your Latino community. Luis Guzman, Rosario Dawson, John Leguizamo, Susan Sarandon, Tim Robbins, big, big names. And they all, uh, now, they, in that time when I came to New York, Charles was being evicted by Giuliani, and Giuliani sold the building to a developer, and during the last 20-something years, we've been trying to uh, stop the development, and now the developer went to bankruptcy, and, and for first time, we have the opportunity to buy back the building, but you're talking about market Millions, prices. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. But we wow. still, it's still in, in action. Wow, that's such a, a rich history. And uh, why don't we, uh, Reggie, get ready to roll into uh, a little musical interlude, uh, some Puerto Rican music as we start talking about the Puerto Rican history of the Lower East Side.
Welcome back to Trauma Code. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald. Uh, Dr. Cassandra Raphael is out of the studio today, uh, but here we have with us a good friend of mine, uh, an artist uh, from uh, the Brooklyn Recycle Project, uh, Juan Carlos Pinto. Uh, and, you know, that was uh, that music was uh, a, a song that, or at least an artist that you were telling me that uh, Chino Garcia, a good friend and mentor of yours, uh, was a big fan of called, I think, Los Pleneros de la Veintiuno, yeah. something like that. Uh, that song was called Isla Nena. Um, but, yeah, tell us a little bit more about uh, the figure of uh, Chino Garcia that you were just honoring at this uh, public art event in the Lower East Side. Well, as I was telling you, uh, in 1988, I find that magazine, and I became aware of Basquiat died that year, and Chino was in, the, in one of the five members of that group of uh, gangsters who decided to fight against misery and ignorance instead to fight against each other, about race and cultures, because all that kind of... Uh, war of ethnical stuff was happening in the 60s, right? And, and they decided, you know what? Nope, no more. And they established a beautiful dream called Charas. I came to New York in 98 and, uh, and I grabbed a, a, a dishwasher job in the uh, in St. Mark Place, in a place called the Crooked Tree. Who it's doesn't still there, right? More. The Crooked no, Tree. No, it's gone. Oh, no. <laughs> it's gone. And, uh, like who can afford these rents? Right, right, right. Yeah. And COVID was a hit on everybody. And uh, well, you tell me you used to make crepes over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I I start DJing there like a disc <laughs> washing, uh, and I climbed pretty fast because uh, somehow uh, English was kind of friendly, and um, my bosses were very relaxing. That that means I end up managing the place pretty pretty fast, and one day. Uh, this big Puerto Rican dude come over for a coffee and I say, I know you. And say, how do you know me? And that was Chino Garcia. And then in that time, Chino was carrying on these banners protesting the eviction of by Giuliani. The, the horses were in, in, in Tompkins Square. And I decided to, I asked him if I can help you because, I, you know, I do spray and I did the banners for, to protest during the, the whole 99 till the millennium, the eviction of Charas. And I ended up working with Chino. He hooked me up with uh, Longs, with uh, the group of uh, uh, gardens in the Lowry side, the, the association, the 26, 27 gardens in the Lowry side. And some of them have to be protected using public art as an excuse, some kind of landmarking. It was a strategy. But I, it's not just an excuse, right? That public art adds value to that space, to yeah. the community. It's a in, selfishness. In in my case, our public art saved my life because was the wrong ideas crossing through. When you're in exile and you're afraid and you have a degree from college, you end up this washing in New York for in serving cappuccinos to hipsters. Um there is a little period of kind of depression and, and wrong ideas cross to your brain. You start abusing yourself or, or stuff like that. And uh, uh, Public art give me that uh, help. And I involve a lot of people in my own mental stage. And we formed the Brooklyn Recycle Project with Andy Ines, John Sear, Helen Spencer. 
you know, Marlene Tapia, uh, Mexican James Franco, you know, <laughs> a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of good friends who were pure volunteers. And we all learned how to apply for grants, how to apply for scholarships, how to learn new techniques who became part of your, your know-how, your, your, your skills. And we have this project now who we invite people from different schools and they learn with us and, and uh, they learn the skills you know, they can they can make a living with with mosaics in that case right and a lot of your artwork is mosaic and the public artwork is often using recycled pieces of tile ceramic mirror glass things like this um are there any uh pieces that people may have seen or ones that you're particularly proud of or who the story of is particularly um valuable uh their their pieces uh in 1999, I met this very famous artist. The name is Bernard Benet, French-American sculptor, like in a big monumental scale. Bernard Benet is the dad of the owner of that restaurant that I used to work. And I show him some of my black book. Uh, you got your sketches in a black book. I was already trained by the tradition of of, of uh, uh, the graffiti school. Let's say that, and. Uh, he saw my book and said, Carlos, if you use political commentary in your social experience, you're committing economical suicide because people don't like to buy harsh criticism toward the system. And I kind of believe him, but at the same year, Banksy come to the picture. And I say, wait a minute, this guy is totally uh, criticizing the system. And... Uh, we keep involved in that in that uh, situation, but we we were a little more more careful. We we the, the idea was recycle and keep a good mess, a positive message, and and the and the public presence. But uh, with the election of the last president, I remember I don't want to say the name of that dude. <laughs> uh, he was talking very bad about about Mexican immigration stuff like that, and uh, we decided with John Sear to make a. a a partnership with the uh, Audubon Society, and we did a big 25 piece, um, uh, feet mural uh, about the trumpeteer swans in, in, in Harlem, the part of the Audubon mural project in Harlem. It was the first one with mosaics, and it was an answer to the rhetoric of that, uh, hate rhetoric of that president. And uh, was our way to talk about uh, a manifesto of migration, uh, freedom, and, and diversity, because it's an animal on extinction. Hmm. And, of course, the, the, the tie-in there with migration and birds and, uh, and that, the natural Now, now we are working flow. in a partnership with Audubon, especially the, the work that we did with, uh, with the MetroCars. Now the MetroCars is on extinction, and... Uh, you know, is that what we're, we're doing right now? Right, and and since you brought it up, you have a history of doing uh, portraits with Metro cards. Uh, I have a very cherished gift uh, portrait of me and my wife. You did with a Metro card mosaic, <laughs> but also I think you showed me a picture. I hope you don't mind me. I hope this is okay for public. That CC Sabathia bought one of your Metro card mosaics. That like you have a picture of Luis Guzman with a portrait you made for him. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez with a portrait. Yeah, a lot, a lot of. So the very popular and, and very fun. Um, 
and I, you must have gone through you know seven figures, at least a million metro cards in your career. But like you say, that that has come to an end now. Is it's now yeah, a virtual it's, ticket? It's, it's organic. It's a born as a recycle and born as a tantrum, because that was 1992 when no 2002. I'm sorry, the 2002 when the MTA raised the prices of public transportation for a quarter. And I went to be the waiter on the Lowry side, talk to, get off the train on 14th Street, and get off I, Friday night. And in that time, you work for tips. You don't work for minimum oh, wow. wages. <clears throat> you know, in that time, they were exploiting us the, uh, so bad. No, even 275, you know, zero money. It's all tips. But it was a high-traffic place, meaning you make a couple bucks on in, in, in Friday night. I talked for granted that Friday night, and the exit of 14th Street and Union Square was this homeless guy asking for money. And I have $1 in my pocket. I give the dollar to him, and I went to work. The restaurant was floated. I cleaned the restaurant. They make no money, came back to the station, swapped <coughs> my metro car, and no, not enough money in the, in the car. They raised the prices for a quarter. I went outside. Is that... That dude that I give him money a couple hours before, and I he told him, can you spare a quarter with me? And he's, you know, good New Yorker. He sent me to fried potatoes. And uh, <laughs> I came back to the station and jumped the turnstile there, and was a, a plain clothes cop there. And he gave me a $175 ticket. I wow. was so angry that I pick up all the metro cars on the floor. And I chop it up when I came home, and somehow I find out the Pantone, say five colors in the metro car, and I did a portrait of John Lennon. And came out all right, and I, I scanned that portrait and make posters to protest the public transportation prices. Uh, bad for me because years later, when I start making some, some income from, from portraits, the MTA tried to sue me. And they seized me in the seas for two years. And, uh, wow. Because the work could be in the, in the museum of the MTA right here in Brooklyn. But uh, uh, I create my own enemy in that case. Have you any resolution with that relationship with the MTA? Any, uh, uh, right now, I think I'm, going, I'm, going, I'm sanitizing the relationship using, I'm portraying animals of migrations now. I'm, I'm, I'm going away of the Warholian celebra celebration of you know, famous people. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about migrations now. And, and uh, well, you have several pieces in the, in the vicinity of MTA stations, right? In uh, Newkirk Avenue, Newkirk Plaza, Newkirk Plaza. Yeah, we, we did a lot of mosaics in the, especially in the Q line from Coney Island, uh, in Church Avenue, in the Garden, in Church Avenue, we have a nice big piece there. The uh, piece in Newkirk Plaza is and being developed now. We're training the next generation springtime there are going to be a lot of people working there excellent and if you're just joining us this is uh, trauma code i'm simon fitzgerald brooklyn trauma surgeon here with uh brooklyn artist juan carlos pinto of the brooklyn recycle project talking about the value of public art as well as his kind of history we we're just talking about your favorite um uh, pieces that you've put up. Any other ones that that are worth talking about, or other public artwork that you think is very special for New York that New Yorkers should uh, take the opportunity to to witness? Um, in East Third, between C and D, 
is the equity houses in, in front of the the squatters, the, the umbrella house. Uh, it's a portrait of Bimbo Rivas. Bimbo Rivas was uh, the founder of the New York Rican Poets Cafe. One of the founders with Algarin, with all, all the cats. But Bimbo was the most colorful character. He, he was the theater man. He, and he was uh, the partner in the theater for the people, theater for the New York City, uh, with Chino Garcia. And uh, now Chino is, is, is a little sick, but still with us. I just make a portrait of Chino. We open the portrait on, on the garden, in East Third, between C and D, uh, next to Bimbo. And I, I think the idea is uh, we're going to train some, some cats to do a little, let's say, Hall of Fame. Uh, there is so many, so many activists in the Lower East Side from, oh God, I, I can know now. Right, rich history. We go, we want to try to to pay respect with mosaics because it's a very permanent form of of, of art. This is different than than spray paint or, or painting. This thing is is gonna be there after. It's like architecture, yeah. not just yes, artwork. Yes, it's integrated. Excellent. Um, well, again, this is uh, Trauma Code with uh, Juan Carlos Pinto talking about public art in Brooklyn and the Brooklyn Recycle Project. Um, any, so what are you working on these days? Anything coming up that uh, you're excited about or you want to tell people about? Uh, we, we have some, some projects, uh, uh, cooking with um, uh, Brother John Sear. Going uh, to be a, basically, a, um, we, we're trying to, to just use the, the studio we have in Coney Island Avenue, Oye Studios in Coney Island Avenue, uh, as a home base to train the next generation is that we are applying for the a few grants and we were nominated for some award too it's like a community award and i think instead to uh, a solid concrete thing we we have to pass the, the torch to to the next generation and, uh, we got a partner with uh, the the brooklyn public theater with uh, the locals high schools in the neighborhood where we live and you know from that on we just have to train people you know? excellent well you know while i had <clears throat> excuse me while i have you here we talked a little bit about uh history on the lower east side um in chino garcia and bimbo rivas um you talked about your uh the draw of uh, both graffiti culture and that kind of basquiat that whole history that whole artistic movement um there's some other artists that you kind of shared that time and space with. Um, do you want to talk about any of them, Kenny Asuka or anybody else? Yeah, yeah. The Ken, Kenny Asuka is part of the, in that generation, they called uh, the Rivington School. Uh, graffiti was already typified as a crime by Giuliani and the YPD in that time, in, uh, in the late 90s. And this group of cats were doing, let's say, public art, but no with a spray paint, welding, mosaics, carvings, and on. A lot, even flowers, uh, the, the guerrilla gardening, they, they, they were kind of breaking the mold of, of, of public expression. And Kenny Rasuka is a Japanese-American sculptor who, with a hammer and a, and a chisel, start carving the sidewalks in the Lowry side. There's still a few pieces around. He's, he's a big guy now. And uh, he's 
the one who gave me the like the pat in the shoulder and say, you know, keep it up, keep it up. You're not so loose. You're not so crazy. Um, and I think what you get at is, um, and th something we've talked about before, the value added of public art, uh, especially kind of durable public art, if well designed and well incorporated into the landscape. Do you want to talk at all about that? What do you think are the benefits of the public art and including your process of including um, neighbors and community members to participate in the construction? Isa, uh, when you use recycle, you're basically making a testament of the time we're living. So this, this, the garbage we're using is part of it's the garbage. Capsule. It's exactly. Somebody in 200 years in the future going to say, oh, look at this. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's part of our, our, our legacy in the, in, the, in the garbage planet, right? And now there is a, a new option, say materials for the arts, recycle centers, even, even businesses can let us get in the dumpsters. The uh, problem of, of the work we do, the mosaics, is the liabilities of the, it's a, the, the city don't want responsibilities, the landlords don't want responsibilities, the developers are avoiding that percent they have to involve in public artwork. Check downtown Brooklyn, it's growing up like crazy, show me the artwork. Mm. Maybe it's inside of the lobbies, but that's private thing. Uh, we still believe in Art is not a privilege of the rich. Art is a human right, like water, man. It's a, we, we have to keep that mystique. That's the reason we use recycle, because uh, free materials. Right. And, you know, coming from Baltimore, uh, where there's a lot of abandoned space and kind of out-of-town speculators and owning rundown properties, and that for a while was kind of what was going on in a lot of parts of New York, not just the South Bronx, but mm -hmm. the Lower East Side yeah. um, and, and a lot of uh, all over the city. And so that's what I found very compelling of that movement, that moment, um, and you named some of the characters in that, but turning unused space that was dangerous, right, broken glass everywhere, into space that incorporated the community, had them feel value of being there, um, relaxing, lowering their cortisol and stress levels. Um, so that's what I've always found compelling about that work and always felt that, you know, in Baltimore it has its own rich history of um, of public artwork and murals and things like that. But there's a lot of underutilized space, dangerous space. So that's what I found always very compelling um, about your work and this tradition that you've come out of, I think, uh, in the Lower East Side. Yeah. The, the Chino Garcia have that idea about the university of the streets, uh, how you have to be able to partner New York has so many art schools, and uh, it, 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 we formalize what we're doing. We take serious what we're doing. Uh, we can invite art students who have who want to experiment with that level, and, and there there is a, a, a feedback from different different directions. We we have to start thinking and elect. When you mention AOC. Uh, to elect uh, representatives who are friendly enough with public art, who are not afraid to put in the lobbies of public schools. It's a, there is, that institutions are so cold, man. You're a doctor. You know what I'm talking about. It's, um, I, I've been in hospitals where they use art to the meditation rooms or to the gardens or to stuff like that. You know, When you're dealing with serious stress, sometimes art, calm you down or, or make you realize that there's options. Right, and, 
and of course every everything is a terrain of struggle even where we can put up our art and how we can defend it um but you know I'm always kind of reminded of the value of of the what is it the uh, WPA that kind of Roosevelt era stuff yeah. where a lot of really valuable artwork went into public spaces um, and and public construction, post offices, city halls, and all types of things. Um, that is a really rich artistic history. The ones that survived. Yeah, it was uh, before COVID. No, in the beginning of COVID, was a show in the Whitney Museum about the influence of of the Mexican muralist or the Mexican art in the WPA times. Post COVID, I think that type of philosophy, that type of policy of the the system could be very interesting because uh you know the, the the especially artists who are no in the game of art basel or that kind of costco that supermarket art situation uh i think we need support and uh, uh i think the next step is organized the artists too that, that include healthcare that include you know insurance that include home base or a studio at least you know. right and, and you know it, it's hard right now costs are up uh, and, uh, uh, and things are kind of a lot of uncertainty but I think definitely maintaining uh, investment and uh, in art and public art and, and creative skills and a space for that uh, really adds value to our time as well as value to our space so um, I really appreciate that uh, and anything else that that you want to um, talk about about your your history or experience or anything else we haven't uh, talked about? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm going away of talking about myself, but uh, uh, now I have a son, and it's very interesting see him growing up appreciating uh, a non-traditional way of doing art in New York because. You know, you walk the line. It's, uh, it's on times is uh, uh, you only uh, support is your family, and and uh, uh, I I feel very good. Uh, my son and on times my son friends are are part of the team of of help. You know? and they're not helping me; they're helping themselves. You know? All right, um, and. Uh, you talked a little bit about some uh, public art pieces around New York that people should definitely appreciate. Um, the Bimbo Rebus piece at East 3rd between C and D, I guess, in Alphabet City. Yeah. And that's right where you've been working. I uh, did a piece and have been showing in a garden there, the piece of Chino Garcia, these important figures of the Lower East Side. Do you have any other art, music, book, cultural recommendations that uh, you're excited about that you'd like to share with people uh, on the audience? Uh there is a, a group of artists in the Julio Burgos Center in 106 and Lexington, or the Soto Vélez Center in, in Rivington, Rivington and Ludlow, I think, in the, in the Lowry side. They're basically there are schools who are the same as Charas. They were a squad during the 60s, 70s, and somehow the, the, the good policy, like a sweat equity situation, now the, this in, in the administration, the hands of a, a group of artists, and there are studios there waiting for anyone who want to apply in uh, you know, Soto Vélez Center or Julia Burgos Center. And if you have something to say, that is a place who, who you can find a, um, 
studio because that's that's the most important thing in New York. Like the Chasama movement in, in Brooklyn is happening with the the the, the army terminal in, in the other side. There there groups, but there is still fees to pay. You know what I'm saying? Over there is more sweat equity. You you commit yourself to keep it clean and and help others, and you can have a space in that. Wow, that's excellent. And you know, New York is the cultural capital of the world. I don't think I would have met you, know, you in your journey in somewhere uh, like where I came from in Baltimore. Um, but the downside of that is that everything is so expensive. Time and space are all so expensive that sometimes you know you have to grind and then grind on the on the side with your artwork. The, so, the public art is always going to be blame of the gentrification of the pimples of the first change. You know, since uh, I think Paris, so that's that's. Uh, uh, the the beginning of modern art that had been have been uh, poor Van Gogh. Van Gogh never saw a painting, mm. but it's accused of gentrification. You know? And but you know that's that's the value of of having that that space if you can keep your head above water uh, and experience the cultural powerhouse that is New York, even in these kind of pandemic eras where it feels like things will never be the same. There's still a lot. No, I think it's a renaissance going on. In like post pandemic art is. We know they have a healing powers, and 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 especially public art who don't pretend indoctrination. That's the reason I I don't like Washington D.C. because I feel sad. Oh yeah, there's a monument of war. They sacrifice their life for you. I appreciate that. I just came in '98. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I'm, um, and the only other recommendation that I wanted to make uh, the caterer at, at our wedding, and, and you were there. Uh, is a, a Haitian American um, chef, Nadej Florimon, and I bumped into her cooking on an HBO show, like nice. Brunch Battle, something like that. Um, and uh, she has a, a restaurant uh, that opened up recently in New York, and my wife will kill me, I've forgotten the name of it, but I think it's at Flatbush and Caton that I'm excited to go to, and I think that's um, been exciting to share some, some time and space with her as she's become uh, very accomplished. Uh, Haitian chef capable of doing a classic stuff, but also a modern fusion, very fun um, stuff. And that's where I learned uh, how one of the things that Jewish and Haitian culture share is smoked herring, which for some reason is also a very central part uh, of Haitian uh, uh, you know, cooking and that she makes a very high-end upscale stuff. So anyway, a long way to say that um, if you have a chance to eat at the restaurant of Nadej Florimont and Flatbush, definitely do that. Yeah, uh, a shout-out for me uh, in case of Support of Brooklyn. Uh, a few years ago, uh, we, we let's say we remember the centenary of the Armenian genocide. And somehow this artist came to my hands. The name is Genov Derhagopian. And I present the idea to the gallery, the, the Bishop Gallery in Bedford Avenue. The two brothers who grow up in Brooklyn and they're incredible. And, they, they have nothing to do with Armenia. I have nothing to do with Armenia, but they were solidarity enough to 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 present the project. And now we are pushing that that artist who died in 1965, I think. Well, we have a couple of minutes. Tell us a little bit about, um, and I'm not even going to say his name right, but uh, Dara Hagopian, right? Dianov Der Hagopian. Uh, he born in Armenia in, in the year 1900, came through Ellis Island in the 20s. He was the best friend of Archile Gorky, another Armenian dude who changed his name, and it was Manuel Adokian or something like that. And 
he changed his name to uh, the Russian name because uh, the whole Armenian exodus, Russian kind of reside there, and they came to Ellis Island. Long story short, Gorky became one of the founder fathers of uh, abstract expressionism, the first American modern movement, and this cat was a priest. but I uh, was a painter too, and I find the paintings thanks to the granddaughter, uh, Leslie Thomas, and she she told me about it, and I say, give me give me a couple of years, we organize the project, I present the project to the Bishop Gallery, and now they are representing the state of this guy. Wow, gonna be a show in in what's the capital of Armenia? I think it's Yerevan. Yerevan. Yeah, Yerevan. I don't know how to pronounce They were they book the the show, but the pandemic hit. Oh wow! Now they, this all packed, ready to be shown in the National Museum of of Armenia. Wow! And so you have a, a, a education in art history then to kind of. Dig I'm, into a, that. I'm a frustrated archaeologist. Archaeologist. <laughs> I, I grew up in Guatemala, and in Guatemala, every rock you move is thousands of years of the, the language, the color of the people, it's, it's there. It's the, we have no problem with identity. But uh, uh, the international solidarity because we passed through a genocide too. You know what I'm saying? It's a, the, the, the bourgeoisie of Guatemala don't want to recognize that. The, the military wars, they don't know. They, it was a low intensity conflict who cost 350,000 lives. You know? wow. And and you, you talk about archaeology. Some of your experience is also kind of forensic archaeology, right, with that history of mass violence. I, well, I, I work as a translator. Uh, the forensic anthropology team, they were Italians. And was this American photographer, uh, the name is uh, Jonathan Muller. He did the book about the, the, the diggings and the mass graves in Guatemala. It's traumatic, but, uh, you know, I was 21, 22 years old. This, you're in dust, in dust, you, 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 you don't die. Mm. Later on, uh, your brain started to scramble, you know, and especially when you're out of the country. You say, oh, God, I, I lost my country because this. I never lost my country. Country is my heart. Wow. But, and... Uh, that's maybe a good a good transition. Uh, the song that I was going to end, uh, actually, the song I was going to have in the middle of the show kind of got mixed up there. But we're going to end with is a song from the uh, Puerto Rican artist Residente called Rene, um, which I hope you'll forgive me. It's a little bit of a sentimental song, a little bit of a sad song, but it is about um, an artist and right that Puerto Rican migration experience is a little bit different, right, because they're American citizens. So there's a back and forth, uh, but at the same time, he kind of describes having success outside the country uh, from modest background, having an art um, scholarship, and then coming home and feeling alienated in his own, uh, where he grew up, basically. So I don't know if you have anything you want to say about the artist, uh, the migratory artist's experience of alienation, um, but that, and we were talking about Puerto Rico and having you on, that song resonated with me. I I think if, if you feel the art bug in your soul, it's good to leave your context for a second travel travel is don't don't stay in the same garden it's a, you're not a plant man it's like, check barcelona check sao paulo check check the favelas check 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 around it's a big world mm. and it's a beautiful world and, uh, new york in my case was a, a lazy way of traveling mm. you move from 
China to Pakistan, from Mexico to Korea, from Tel Aviv to, you know, it's, it's a... Within the neighborhoods of New York exactly, City. Exactly, from two, three blocks around. And, and it's changing too heavy. Now it's getting homogenic, like a pasarela or banana republic or something like that. But uh, uh, it's, not, it's not our problem. It's the change is unavoidable. But uh, if we organize ourselves, we can resist the change in a, in a more elegant way. Though. Well, we certainly can uh, create something beautiful out of it. And I've had on here uh, for today's show... Juan Carlos Pinto of the Brooklyn Recycle Project as a public artist around uh, New York City, whose mosaics you may have seen around are his Metro card portraits. Uh, and this is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald from Trauma Code. Uh, and as a reminder, uh, we, uh, we're going to be doing some fundraising for the show. It takes money to air all of this, so I don't want to bore you with any fundraising. But uh, if you support the show, definitely go online at give to wbaiorg or at WBAI.org, uh, where you can find uh, archives of our show. Uh, you can also find it wherever you uh, listen to podcasts. Just search Trauma Code. Uh, you can find an episode of this later on. Uh, and if you uh, are in a position to give, that number is 212-209-2950. And if you want to reach out to us, trauma code WBAI at gmail.com. Or I'm still on Twitter for the moment, trauma code WBAI. Uh, or on the website at WBAI.org. Thanks again for listening, New York. Uh, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Doctor. René, ven, vamos a estudiar. Sí, te voy a hacer una pregunta. Tú me la contestas. ¿Con qué partes del cuerpo jugaban pelota los indios taínos? René, contéstame. Si es fácil. Atiéndeme, atiéndeme. Mírame. ¿Con qué partes del cuerpo, piensa, jugaban pelota los indios taínos? Ya sé. Te la canto y entonces así tú te la vas aprendiendo. Cabeza, rodilla, muslos y cadera. Cabeza, rodilla, muslos y cadera. Cabeza, rodilla, muslos y cadera. Cabeza, rodilla, muslos y Desde pequeño quería ser beibolista. No llegué así que aprendí a batear hits por encima de una pista. Volví a tomar alcohol en mi despacho. Escribo bien sobrio, pero escribo mejor borracho. Cuando caigo en depresión, mis problemas se los cuento. A la ventana del avión el estrés me tiene enfermo. Hace 10 años que no duermo. El IRS me sigue investigando. Me estoy divorciando, pero no importa, yo sigo rimando. Cometo errores, pero hago lo que pueda. Aprendí a aterrizar sin ruedas y, aunque en la calle me reconocen, ya ni mis amigos me conocen. Estoy triste y me río. El concierto está lleno, pero yo estoy vacío. En la industria de la música todo es mentira. Mi hijo tiene que comer, así que sigo de gira. Solo me queda lo que tengo. No sé pa' dónde voy, pero sé de dónde vengo. Me crié con Christopher, mi pana. Tiramos piedras juntos, rompimos un par de ventanas. Corríamos por la calle sin camiseta. En las parcelas de Trujillo, cuesta abajo en bicicletas. La bici encima del barro con un vaso de plástico en la goma para que suene como un carro. Recargábamos baterías con malta india y pan con ajo. Nadie nos detenía, éramos inseparables. Hasta que un día... Lo mataron entre cuatro policías Mi alegría sigue rota Se apagaron las luces en el parque de pelota Ya no queda casi nadie aquí A veces ya no quiero estar aquí Me siento solo aquí
En el medio de la fiesta Quiero estar en donde nadie me molesta Quemar mi libreta, soltar mi maleta Quiero llamar al 7550822 A ver quién contesta las peleas con mi padrastro cuando perdí el control las resolvía con él viendo un partido de béisbol. Me invitó a pelear un par de veces, me escapé de casa un par de veces, pero nunca faltó el alimento, nos defendió con música tocando en casamiento, a veces al horno, a veces de lata y microondas, compartíamos todo, la mesa era redonda, clase media baja, nunca fuimos dueños, el préstamo del banco se robaba nuestro sueño, la cuenta de ahorro vacía, pero mami bailando flamenco nos alegraba el día, dejó de actuar para cuidarnos a los cuatro y nos convertimos en su obra de teatro, ella se puso nuestras botas y su vida fue de nuestros logros y nuestras derrotas mi padrastro se fue con otros peces nos mudamos de la calle 13 me fui a buscar la suerte en un mar de paja y mi vida entera la empaqué en una caja en la universidad de arte me becaron a la mitad de mis amigos los mataron empecé a rapear de nuevo empecé a creer de nuevo Volví, saqué un disco, me comí el mundo, di un mordisco. En Puerto Rico despidieron empleados, insulté al gobernador, quedó televisado. Censuraron cuatro años de mi calendario, abuela murió, no me vio tocar en el estadio. Dije todo lo que sentí, me quieren más afuera que en mi propio país. Pero aunque mis canciones las cante un alemán, quiero que me entierren en el viejo San Juan. Puede que la tristeza la disimule. Pero estoy hecho de arroz con gandules Y me duele No importa que el ron de la madrugada me consuele Desde adentro de la pulpa Si la cagué a mi país Le dedico cuatro pisos de disculpa Ya no queda casi nadie aquí A veces ya no quiero estar aquí Me siento solo aquí En el medio de la fiesta Quiero estar en donde nadie me molesta Quemar mi libreta, soltar mis maletas Quiero llamar al 7550822 A ver quién contesta Y si me contestan Quiero decirles que quiero volver Que quiero salir de este hotel Y desaparecer Y si me contestan Quiero decirles Que quiero bajar el telón Que a veces me sube la presión que tengo miedo que se caiga el avión Que no me importan las giras, los discos, los Grammys Y que en la calle 11 Quiero volver a ver el cometa Halley con mami Quiero volver a cuando Mis ventanas eran de sol Y me despertaba el calor A cuando me llamaban pa' jugar A cuando rapeaba sin cobrar Quiero sacar las cartas de pelota del envase Volver a robarme segunda base En verano y navidades Limpiar la casa con mis hermanos Escuchando a Rubén Blades Quiero volver a ir al cine en la semana Llegar a la escuela de arte en la mañana Quiero quedarme allí No quiero salir de allí Quiero volver a cuando No me dejaban entrar porque me vestía mal Quiero volver a sentir A cuando no tenía que fingir yo quiero volver a ser yo Cabeza, rodilla, mulo y cadera 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 
Dani, 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 Dani. 